Hello, I am Nancy Lynn Westfield, Director of the Wabash Center. Welcome to Dialogue on Teaching, a Silhouette Interview. The Silhouette Conversations are sparked from a list of standardized questions. We have the good fortune to hear firsthand from teaching exemplars about their teaching and teaching life. Today, our Silhouette guest is Reverend Dr. Stephanie M. Crumpton. Dr. Crumpton is Associate Professor of Practical Theology, McCormick Theological Seminary. Thank you so much, Stephanie, for being in the conversation. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for the invitation. I'm excited um, to be considered an exemplar. I've never experienced that. So this is a high moment for me. Oh, oh, listen. <laughs> no. So so yes, of course. But let's let's get into it, right? Let's get okay. into it. So the first of our 13 questions, right? When you were a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be Lois Lane, somewhere between Lois Lane and Wonder Woman. Um, Lois Lane, because she was a reporter and she wanted to know, you know, to, to get things right by finding out what was going on in the world. And Wonder Woman, because who didn't want to be Linda Carter? I mean, she had the best costume. She had the Wonder Woman stance. So I think probably a combination between Lois Lane and, and the bracelets. I love the bracelets. The bracelets. My mother made my costume and she made the bracelets out of tin foil. You could tell me nothing. <laughs> I get that. I get that. Um, who was proud of you when you became a teacher? Who was uh so I don't know that it was one person. I would probably say it was my community, my family, definitely, because there have been um, informal and formal teachers um, throughout my mother's side of the family. My grandmother used to, um, she was not college educated, but she used to take in kids from the neighborhood and teach them. She would tutor them in their reading skills. Mm -hmm. And so it's always been an important piece. Education has always been an important piece in our family. So probably uh, my grandmother, who did not live um, on this, this, this side of eternity, um, to see me do, to do that. Um, but my grandmother would probably be very proud. My grandfather did see me become a teacher. He actually watched me walk across the stage at Columbia Theological Seminary for my doctorate. He was there. Um, and that was a blessing because months later he passed. Um, but yeah, he was very proud. He would call me Sister Padre. <laughs> and then my mother. Um, so yeah, yeah, very much family and, and friends who are family for me. Mm -hmm. Who has influenced your teaching for the better? Influenced my teaching for the better. I'm going to say Toni Morrison mm -hmm. is huge. Um, Toni Morrison, definitely. Um, so like people I don't know up close and personal, Toni Morrison, the way that she can dissect a concept and place it in historical context. In terms of teaching conversation, I had to go back again. Um, this is Alita Young, who was my seventh grade um, social studies tutor. I would go to her house after school and she would sit with me at the dining room table and we would slowly walk through what I needed to learn. And so that entire process of slowly walking through a thing um, to understand what it is we're looking at and furthermore for her to help me understand how I was looking at it. Um, uh, more contemporarily, I would probably say, of course, my experiences with Wabash, with the Wabash Center mm -hmm. on Teaching Theology and Religion, the um, cohorts and the uh, the early um, pre-tenure workshops and the conversations about imagination. There was one in particular, well, there have been a few because I've been blessed to be part of a few, um, but I can say uh, 
the whole notion, Wabash helped me think through several people about how I could bring myself into the classroom and to ask some questions that weren't about making carbon copies of myself, first of all, um, but also to help people learn how to ask the right question. It's not always the right answer. It's about learning as a teacher, how to learn, for me to how to learn, how to write, ask the right question that helped them understand the process I was trying to get them to understand, right? Mm -hmm. I know that was a little convoluted, but it's about the questions. And then also, of course, the um, from Paul and his um, commitment around wonder and imagination and art and play. That's I will never forget being in a workshop um, and Paul talking about play. I was like, play, this is serious business. We are here trying to learn for our lives and make a difference in the world. And mm -hmm. Paul was like, but what about play? And I was like, what? But then I stopped for a minute because I had a minute because Wabash gave me a minute um, in the workshops to think about play, which then reverberate in the class, reverberates in the classroom for me now. How can I stop time to give people a minute to become curious, to play with an idea so that education becomes um, the classroom experience, allows them the minute to play with very serious issues. That's right. That's right. So pedagogy of play is very much what we advocate yeah. um, for our teachers and for one another, right? So, yay. Um, what is a favorite nickname by which you are called by a loving person? We just had, an, I just had a great conversation with somebody about this. So a very good friend of mine, um, Davida, a uh, long time ago started calling me Auntie BG aunt to her daughter and um it stands for black girl auntie black girl it's <laughs> wonderful yeah, I, said, I hesitated for a minute i was like oh this is gonna come back on me um and that was uh probably about 10 15 years ago and now her niece oh or um her daughter her child oh and she now i, I asked for an upgrade mm -hmm. um to be called ba uh auntie black auntie <laughs> i was like we passed the girl stage so now can you please call me black auntie mm -hmm, i'm, I'm mm -hmm, moving into mm -hmm. the auntie stage of my mm -hmm, life mm -hmm. and also but yeah. both such terms of endearment and warmth right? yes That's very wonderful. much so very much so yes mm -hmm. yes what has surprised you about teaching or the teaching life Two things, especially uh, right here, right now. Um, I was surprised to find out that in as much as I was claiming that I was about liberation and emancipation and liberatory, emancipatory practices of pedagogy and classroom experience, when I really looked at it, that does not, in my mind, <laughs> I was functioning in my mind mm -hmm. um, from a perspective of liberation. But when I really looked at how assignments were being structured um, how the classroom was being structured, I wasn't. Um, the pandemic snapped us all back into a space of, for one, giving us time, whether we wanted it or not, to do some serious reflection. And for me, that reflection also occurred around teaching and the classroom because I felt like we didn't have any time. We really didn't have any time to waste. Like people are dying. I don't have time to waste people's time. Um, they've got some critical skills they have got to walk out of here with. And so once I really started taking that um, seriously in different ways, it's not that I wasn't serious about it before, but there was an urgency 
um, it was right here in my face um, because I teach in practical theology, because I teach pastoral care. Like there is an immediacy around how can we help the people be free so that they can care for themselves well? And that has to start in the classroom. And once I started that, second surprise was how excited I am to be in the classroom because it freed me too, like to try different things and um, and to not just say this is what we're going to do, but become much more collaborative in the classroom and, and which also freaked out quite a few of my students because they too came in <laughs> with a banking model of education and um, we're like, tell us what to do. And I was like, no, we're going to co-create this, which, you know, I got a couple of colorful comments on my, my student evaluation. She doesn't know what she's doing. It's, it's too loose. Yes, because mm -hmm. it's foreign. It's new. Um, and so um, the joy that I have as I'm now really learning how to truly embody emancipatory pedagogy, that I'm excited to go into the classroom. I look forward, like, I, it surprises me when I walk in. I'm like, hey, people, I'm glad to see you. And I'm so surprised by that. Because usually, you know, for years, I thought about teaching in some ways as a burden. Um, but now I'm like crunk to be in the classroom. I'm looking forward to it and I'm looking forward to their ideas. Um, so yeah, those are the, it was surprising to me how much I've looked forward to being in the classroom. What profession other than teaching would you like to attempt? Oh, this is good because I'm thinking about this in my, um, as I move, move through mid-career looking at becoming a senior in the field. I am really interested in what I think is being identified as like digital humanities projects, right? So um, not as much teaching, but what can we do with the research that we're developing as scholars? What can I do um, that places it in popular media, right? So I'm thinking about documentary work. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about formats like what you all are doing here, podcasting, mm -hmm. um, I have a new project, well, it's not new, but it'll be out in the world that probably sometime next year around care and support of black activists and organizers. And it's it's great to put in a book, which there is a book coming out of it, but black activists and organizers are not, they read clearly, yeah. But I don't know that the format that I've been trained in really meets the format for how people are interested in engaging in engaging knowledge and conversation. So mm -hmm. I think I, in some ways, want to go back to, I have an undergrad degree in broadcast journalism. I'm really thinking about going back to some of those mm -hmm. mediums and figuring out how I can create um, platforms that are not just accessible, but more interesting. Books are good, but when you're an academic, you have to write in a particular kind of format, right? Well, and we, we get calls, I say we as in kind of the expanded way, from filmmakers to be experts for their films, why shouldn't we as experts know how to make films, right? So there is a bigger conversation to be had. So I think that's a fabulous idea. Yeah, and now, I gotta I, say, I Dr. Clinton, I also thought you were gonna say yoga. You didn't, you're not going, you don't wanna be a yoga. Okay, no. Uh, so I, at one time I was <laughs> teaching, I, so, 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 here, so here we are. So I did yoga teacher training in 2017, mm -hmm. 18, somewhere in there. It was about a year and a half training. I loved it. And then I was doing some teaching and then um, the pandemic hit and I just haven't had time to teach. I barely had time. I'm just now getting more seriously back into my own practice, but I will say that those things do 
become a part of my teaching experience, like around breath work, but also the kind of process you go through on the mat in terms of connection between insight um, and embodying what you live into. I do bring those things into the classroom, but no, no, I don't have time. I, just, I wish, I wish, but I don't have time. I got to pick. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yes. Okay. Next. Do you enjoy writing in longhand? If so, what is your preference of ink pen or writing utensil? Oh, this is good. So yes, and I it's usually in a journal. And I have Kim Russaw to thank. She a few years ago she bought me um a Lamy fountain pen and buddy. That fountain pen life is where it's at. So mm -hmm. I do love, I like she started me with Lamy's and now. Oh, shoot. I'm not really a brand person. It's more like, what does it look like? But I uh -huh. will say that I'm starting to enjoy the medium nibs on um, on fountain pens. They're not that's not a calligraphy nib because uh -huh. that has a curve to it, but it's a medium stub nib, I think is what it's called. Uh -huh. And I like inks that have good saturation. So I'm still looking for a deep like lapis indigo blue. And I am enjoying my turquoise Lamy pen that came with turquoise ink. Makes me very happy. Makes me feel like a rock star. What's your superpower? Laughter. Yeah, humor, say more. Say more. Being able to bring levity to a situation. And sometimes I have to fool, I have to use my body to fool my mind. Like sometimes I get really overwhelmed and it's really bad. Like it's something so preposterous or it makes me angry or it's like a real obstacle, but I can't afford the energy to spend it being angry. So I have to be like, ha, yes, woo. <laughs> And then all you can do is laugh about it. And that cuts a path for my body to move forward instead of leading with my brain, which is like, can you imagine that this mess is happening? So I want to say laughter and laughter is compassion um, mm -hmm. for myself and also with others. Because like some of the stuff out here is like, it ain't funny at all. But sometimes when you can speak the unspeakable through laughter um, for yourself and others, I think that's probably my my um maybe laughter and telling the truth through humor. Because after we stop laughing, we're going to deal with whatever it is. That's nice. That's nice. What's your favorite curse word? Am I allowed to say that here? <laughs> tell me what it is and I'll tell you if you're allowed to say it. Oh, it's a four letter starting with F and you ending with K. Mm -hmm. There we mm -hmm. go. That's close. I could have published that. <laughs> Jesus. Okay. <laughs> Especially when I put them together in the same sentence. That's what I'm. Oh, yeah. And okay. add an M in front of it, too. Oh, yes. But yes. I'm, that, yes. that, that yes. really is where, mm -hmm. oh, it's real when I've gone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Jesus, M, and the rest of them. That's in one sentence is where I'm really at. That's okay. that's probably my favorite. Okay. okay. I can't believe okay. you're going to publish that. We are. We are. How have you survived certain violences in teaching? Oh, boy. When I look over the years, um, I think that their survival has sometimes been involved some numbing. Hmm. And to just hmm. like when it happens to just be like, okay, this is happening. Oh, boy. 
And like, it's, it becomes an automatic thing for me to just kind of step, like dissociate at some time, sometimes. Um, other times, I think I have employed, younger times, I've employed an approach of, because I'm in pastoral care, okay, of say, doing the maneuver of saying, okay, something's wrong with this other person. Let me tend to that so that it can be better for me and perhaps really saying in my mind it, it will help them but really I'm trying to care for myself in that moment more contemporarily I'm learning how to pick my battles mm, uh -huh, uh -huh. and then um, I've employed the tactic of being real clear that that's yours and it's not mine and saying literally saying out loud I'm gonna leave you to that I'm gonna leave that. I'm gonna leave that right there where it is, and leave you to that. And then sometimes you have to learn and develop the skill of head-on front confrontation in a constructive way that does not leave me on the floor. Right? There may be blood on the floor, but it can't be mine. Right? Like, and there are moments for that. And and as a church girl, you're not you're socialized that that's not okay. That's not acceptable. And in the academy, that's you've lost it, you're out of control, but the situation is out of control. So let's just name that. Um, but it's a skill, right? Uh -huh. Uh -huh. To learn how to do that. If you look at um, the previous versions, uh, younger versions of myself leading up to now. Yeah. Nice. What healings have you witnessed or received in a classroom teaching? Uh, uh, I'll start with witnessed. Um, you know, in pastoral care, it's happening all the time. A lot of times when um, students make the connection between something you've experienced and that and some material that we're engaging, and I'm trying to be intentional to just not say books because I'm trying to expand that. Um, but some those moments where they have a, oh, like the aha moment, either right there in the classroom or in an assignment, you see that they're having the aha moment or in a conversation. Um, and when they come back and tell me, Right. Hey, you know, that thing we were talking about, I mm -hmm. use that either for themselves or in ministry. Mm -hmm. um, for, for me, recently, uh, I will say, you know, you try new things in the classroom. You hope it works. You hope you didn't break anything, <laughs> including <laughs> your students for yourselves. And when they come and tell you that was really helpful for me as I'm trying to move into this space deeper into emancipatory pedagogy, when they thank me. And then I know I didn't break any, or better yet, I did break something on purpose. I broke the old ways of teaching and learning. And we tried a new thing and it involves some risk of disclosure or vulnerability. And, and they say, I really appreciated the way you did. Um, being Becoming open, the healing for me is becoming open to receiving their thanks and gratitude and not just brushing it off as, oh, it's just the teacher. But no, there really was something that was happening between us in the classroom. Um, uh, that was that was meaningful and that is healing from kind of some ways of stepping myself out of the classroom um, that I had before and attempting to re-educate after miseducation is a gesture of healing whether you accomplish yeah. it or not yeah and sometimes we don't know how embedded the practices of miseducation and also the practices of helping somebody forget that they have an answer or have the capacity to develop answers like that is a violence that is that is miseducation so when when you stop doing that and people mm -hmm. can say hey that is healing for me you're right thank you mm -hmm. for that what have you enjoyed most about the teaching life the teaching life what do i enjoy the most the creativity 
Stephen Ray, when I had been at a particularly hard time and um, when I was just starting out in teaching, I was having a very hard time. And we were talking and he said to me, you gotta learn how to make that classroom yours, like the mm -hmm. actual space itself. And so I have a lot of fun being creative in the classroom. Like if I, if I get my mind right and get, the, get myself out the house and the dog's taken care of and I'm on time, which means I'm early enough to create an mm -hmm. environment. So when I can, I'll use the big screens in class and we'll portray art, generally black art and music. And I'll start the class out. Sometimes, it, most times it's related to what we're going over, but other times it's not. And I'll just say, because I want to set the stage and the, create the environment for, for um, exploration, I'll say, what does this bring up for you? And then that becomes the entree mm -hmm. into the teaching experience and using um, video and um, coming away from requiring printed text, right? Um, that everything has to be, their knowledge has to be demonstrated by the paper that they write, which I just realized this morning is really about literacy. So there's something in there mm -hmm. around colonizing education and literacy that I want to do some thinking about that just came to me this morning. But yeah, creating in the classroom. Last question. Okay. When you are old, 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 and have been teaching for a long, long time, mm -hmm. not now, but in the future, what miracles will you have performed? The idea of me performing a miracle is a little overwhelming, so I got to take a second with that. What miracle? I, the miracle will be that I, not that I have completely shaken off um, banking pedagogies and all the, their cousins and friends, but that I will have a clear view of them mm -hmm. and will be able to explain to others and help others develop a clear view because it's a part of American society and the intellectual processes around the world oftentimes to think and process and create knowledge in that way. So it's not going away. That frame is not going to go away. Um, and Jesus said that the poor will be with you always, not because they want to be poor, but because the frame is equally persistent. I want to be able to have performed the miracle of teaching people how to notice the frame, hmm. how to dissect the frame and construct an alternative frame that is as vigilant around emancipatory practice and making ways for new knowledge as the old banking models are committed to not doing those things. That would be a miracle, yeah. I would say. And and one worth conjuring. I'm trying my best every day. And it seems like I got a toehold on it because I really had a great time teaching last week. Um, for a one-week intensive, who loves doing that? Not me. But I did last week. So, yeah, I got a toehold on the conjure. Bethany Crompton, thank you so much for your uh, vulnerability and insight, right? This was lovely. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to, to be here. To our listeners, the Wabash Center website is the place to find the details that you might be looking for in terms of programming. Look to our website for details about our cohort groups, workshops, colloquies, and roundtables. Also on our website is information about our educational resources, our blog, syllabus collection, journal on teaching, and archive of all of our podcasts. 
And our website also has information about our grants program. A special thanks to sound engineer, Dr. Paul Myrie. Also a special thanks to podcast producer, Rachel Mills. The music which frames the Silhouette podcast is the original composition of Paul Myrie. Wabash Center for more than 28 years is exclusively funded by Lilly Endowment Incorporated. And we are out. How was that, Paul?